0: Welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren
1: Fix, and Javier Mota. Welcome to a new episode of the Total Car Score podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. And uh, we are in the only, what, third week of the year. And it already feels old <laughs> with all the... COVID news and all these things, we're still stuck. Uh, I don't know. You, Lauren, been traveling a little bit, right, Lauren?
2: I've been around, yeah. I've been doing the long drive from uh, Buffalo, New York to Florida. I've done it, uh, let's see, three times already. So I'm getting really good at it and uh, testing my winter driving skills and, you know, seeing how winter tires handle on summer roads Do not mix, just an FYI. So take off your winter tires and spring hits.
1: And uh, you did a venture a little bit further south of uh, Jacksonville, but we'll talk about that in uh, the second segment. And Carl, you also did a kind of a long trip uh, recently, right? Tell us about that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I did the adventure from central Iowa to the West Coast in a 1988 Pontiac Firebird formula that I bought. Uh, But yeah, uh, the car behaved itself 100%. Uh, you, you know, to me, that's like the ultimate thing you fly in and you drive home in the car that you buy. Um, everyone, most people ship their cars, which is fine. But I'm I'm the person who wants to actually just immediately use it. Even when it's a 32 year old car and you got eighteen hundred miles to go uh, try to escape a incoming Midwest blizzard and then go across the Rockies and through the middle of nowhere southwest and assume that the 32 year old car probably won't have a problem. And um <laughs> It didn't. It, it was flawless. Everything worked fine. And it's been fine since I got back here. So I've I've now started to think, you know, I didn't pay that much for this car as a specialized classic, you know, 1988 Pontiac Firebird formula. It's like kind of rare, unique and it's starting to go up in value. But forget all that. It's a great used car. If I have spent this much money for a car that was showing this level of dependability and it was, you know, uh, a Honda Civic or a, or a Toyota FRAV4, I'd be like, cool. I got a good deal on a used car that's dependable. So uh, it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the Honda Civic, and in the third segment, we're going to have a an update on with everything that is happening with, uh, with Honda, with Carl Pulley, that we haven't seen in a year. I haven't seen him in a year, but uh, tell me a little more about what's the story behind that car. Because I know you like cars, but is there anything more that just like this founder? What, what, what's the story behind that decision? Well, you know, I've always liked
3: that era of Firebird, but I don't think I'd have personally bought one. But what happened a couple of years ago was that I showed my daughter, my teenage daughter, a couple of years ago, the 80s Firebirds, <clears throat> you know, the Knight Rider generation. And she just, I mean, I showed her the 70s ones too in the 60s and I've showed her lots of cars, but something about that style she locked in on it and just was like, ah. and so she's been talking at a medium low to medium level for years about when are we getting my firebird? When are we getting my firebird? Well, mm-hmm. now she, she's got her uh-huh. permit and she's getting closer to being able to drive. And I just, for some reason, I don't know why. in the last like two months, I just started looking a little closer and I found one in Denver where I'm from and where my brother lives and had him go look at it. And it was nice. But once he got close to it, he's like, ah, it's been resprayed. The respray wasn't that good. And it's got this issue and that issue. I was like, ah. and they actually wanted more money. And then we found, uh, this one in center central Iowa, uh, and it was a Formula Three Fifty. The other one was not, and it had a little more miles, but it was it looked to be completely original, unmolested, you know, un- unmodified, and in very clean shape from the photos. And then I started talking to the guy, and he's like a retiree who's had it for fifteen years, and seemed like the car had just been really well cared for. So flew out from LAX to Minneapolis. My brother, I flew him out uh, from Denver to Minneapolis. Met there. Got a rental car, drove two hours south to Mason City, drove the car, test drove it, talked to the owner, went to the Wells Fargo, did the deal, and then drove on down to Des Moines for the airport there to drop off the rental car that we'd picked up in Minneapolis. I knew I had to have a way to get rid of that car after I, if I bought the other one. <laughs> I knew it. And then on to uh, I-76, and off we go, heading toward first Denver and then back eventually to Orange County. And uh, it, was, it was tricky. There was a blizzard coming in, and at least – four or five times my brother and I would say to ourselves oh i think we're we've beaten it we're out and then whether it was 20 minutes or an hour and a half later there's snow flurries all over us again and at one point guys there was like 70 plus mile an hour crosswinds and there was packed <sighs> snow wow. And I'm driving along wow. and it's nighttime and I'm driving along and I'm not doing anything. You know, I know how to drive in snow. I grew up in Golden. So I'm driving along. I'm not giving it steering input or brake or throttle. I'm just going straight at a steady like 60 and suddenly the car is sideways. And it's because those crosswinds. I was on, you know, even, even if you don't do anything when you're getting crosswinds at that rate, it can blow the car sideways. And I twice dis- distinctly had to like recover from something that there was at least a second or two there where it's like, huh, I'm kind of a redundant factor right now. I don't really have any control of this car, but I was able cool. to gather, gather it up both times. And there wasn't anything next to me. There was one time the semi wasn't that far away, but there wasn't anything right next to me and I could use both lanes <laughs> to get it back. But we did eventually get ahead of the blizzard by the time we got to about that corner of Nebraska and, um, and Colorado, the precipitation stopped. The wind was still blowing. It was still cold, and but the next day it was like sunny, cloudless uh, sky from uh, where I dro- when I drove the second day from Eagle, Colorado, which is just at the bottom of the Vale Pass, on to California under almost perfect conditions. And uh, again, car was flawless. Now it's here, and my daughter's already driven it once and is all excited and loves it. So
2: that's awesome. You just created another new fan, another new enthusiast, because we need not just more women, but more young kids that really love cars. And I think, yeah. you know, my kids grew up with it too. Um, both of them race cars and such, but that's a different situation. I mean, they don't have a choice. They're coming with us to the track or whatever, but, but your daughter also, you know, with all the cars and everything around it, it's wonderful that, you know, a young girl is enthusiastic and she's in the right place at the right time.
3: Yeah, and my attitude was, you know, I, I lit the fuse on this, right? I showed her the car. I started joking about getting her the car. And all of a sudden, she's just continuing. And by the way, she doesn't just want to drive the car. She took auto shop when she was in high school. She's in college now, but she awesome. took auto shop. She wants, She was like, if we get it, can we like change the oil ourselves and like do the brakes and all that? I'm like,
1: uh, yes, if
3: you want to. Okay. That's so awesome. It's, it's, That's it's really cool. awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have children, as you know, but uh, my neighbor's uh, daughter, she's like three years old. And uh, recently I had a McLaren, um, I think it was the GT, the blue one, like mm. a really beautiful metallic blue color. He was here for a week. I drove it around and all that. And then like the next week she was coming around with her nanny and like the nanny says like, she wants to know where's the blue car.
2: <laughs> the uh, you do too. <laughs> you want yeah. a new
1: garage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, Lauren was saying, and I was, as you were telling the story, I was thinking about well, that. That's great. That young kids are still interested in cars, and especially in your case, an old car. Because I mean, some of the younger people now want like the latest and the greatest. But it's nice to see that someone appreciates what was done in the past and how those cars can be really cool too.
3: Well, sometimes I wonder if it was in the DNA, right? Because I grew up driving old American muscle cars. My first car was a 69 Plymouth GTX. Then I had a 70 GTX. I had a 70 Dodge Challenger RTSC that was Plum Crazy Purple. So I've had a lot of old cars. And I, and I, once upon a time, I even had a 74 Super Duty Trans Am 455, which is a rare and valuable car. Most of them were gone by the time. I mean, I had some of those cars. She definitely rode around. Well, the primary car for a while that Stacy was driving was that 70 Challenger when those kids were younger. So that probably helped imprint somewhat, too. But she was annoyed as I started to kind of get rid of my older cars for various reasons, space and everything else. And they just kind of went away. And she always said, now your 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 GTX and your Challenger are cooler than the Ford GT, the car I have now. And I'm just like, OK, well, if that's your opinion, you know. And so now she's got her own classic uh, V8 rear drive American uh, uh, performance car. So,
1: yeah, it's all good. I hope that siren wasn't the police going after her. <laughs> <laughs> no!
2: You know, it's it's funny that, you know, you have your kids growing up in all of this and they get excited and enthused. You just hope that whoever they end up with as a partner uh, or however you want to describe it these days, that they love cars. And luckily, my daughter has done that, but doesn't always work that way. So we got to keep that love going. And it, it's funny because... I say that of all the industries that we've all worked in totally different industries, the one industry that's really a family is the auto industry. I mean, anyone, whether you're going to a car show, you could be a street sweeper or an executive. You want to talk cars? We'll all talk cars and no one judges you. It's just, which is what all the kids always say. Don't judge me, but it's great that they there's a community there that she can start growing in as well. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly.
2: So uh, I had prepared a lot of uh, news actually that happened in
1: this uh, this week, but we don't have any time. But uh, I'm, I'm gonna let's do this like really really quick, like one headline from each of you. Um, I, I just read this one: Volkswagen to end production of the Golf for the U.S. market, and actually had stopped producing the Golf in Puebla in Mexico, and they're just gonna have the GTI and the GTR for the U.S. coming from Germany. That's a, that's pretty significant
3: yeah well you know it's it's i mean and you're going to talk we're going to talk later to the honda folks and they're going to tell us about i think uh the new civic that we all know is coming but remember they just killed the the coupe version of the civic even for this year which is kind of when you think yeah. about it they we're about to go switch over the whole generation anyways but a year early they had to kill the coupe because they're not getting sales because you know you can sell mainstream cars somewhat still like the four-door sedans and the hatchbacks that are functional but you start getting into these kind of offshoot kind of weirder ones there's just not enough volume now to, to keep them going i'm sure Sure, it's the same with the golf.
2: Yeah, Lauren, you have a headline. Uh, as as far as what's going on, well, I think there's going to be a lot of electric cars coming on the market, but please don't think that it's everyone's going to buy one. Uh, with four percent of the market at max of people buying hybrids and plug-in cars. Don't forget, Hyundai is coming up with hydrogen, and I think that's going to be very interesting because of the investment from China. They've already invested in hydrogen, so I think we're going to start seeing some of that coming over here, and I'm excited to see some of the different propulsions coming.
1: Great. Well, we come back on the second segment, and Lauren is going to have a very interesting uh, interview about, actually, what we were talking before, classic cars uh, that people really want to buy and like they can find it in one place. So we'll be back with that. Well, welcome back. And as promised, Lauren went to Kissimmee, right? In Florida? Yeah. yeah. Tell us about it.
2: Well, we had an opportunity. I have a place in Jacksonville. So we took a trip down, five of us, and went in as media. So we got to see behind the scenes of everything that goes on at Mecham Auctions. Now, I have been to auctions all around the world. I've been to Pebble Beach, as Carl has. Actually, I've seen Carl there a million times at Pebble Beach, whether it's RM Auctions and Bonham and so forth. But when I had gone to Meekum in the past, it was okay. Well, they have a new CEO in there and he is super smart. And the results in a very short period of time have been nothing more than impressive. And I have an interview with him. Makeup Auctions is one of the largest auction houses. They have 14 auctions nationwide that sell about $30 million or more at every single auction. They started a very small business in 1988, a family business for auctions, and they do farm tractors and motorcycles and a lot of other things. But this car auction business has been booming for them and they brought on Dave Major, the new CEO, a few years ago. He has really elevated this brand to a whole new level. We had an opportunity to talk to him and you want to listen to this. Hi Dave, nice to be here and I appreciate you inviting us out to Kissimmee. This is a huge event.
0: Thanks for being here, it's a great event.
2: So tell us why Kissimmee is such an important event.
0: Well this event has grown into the world's largest collector car auction. So if you can imagine when you see what's been set up here at Kissimmee today with Mm -hmm. around 3,000 cars, this event started over 15 years ago, and the very first event in Kissimmee mm-hmm. had 50 cars. Right, It was in the parking lot of a laundromat <laughs> next to a chicken coop. Oh my goodness. So it's grown from that kind of it's an event 15 years yeah. ago to the world's largest collector car auction that, w- that we have today. And it just keeps growing. It How just keeps cars getting bigger. How do you have? There are about 3,000 cars here this year. That's a
2: lot. How long does it take to run 3,000 cars?
0: (laughs) Well, we start an auction at 10 o'clock in the morning. We run a car across the block every two minutes until we finish. We'll run somewhere around 300 to maybe 330 cars a day. So we start at 10, finish somewhere around 6, 6.30 at night. Wow. And we're going to do that for 10 days in a row.
2: That's crazy. This is the longest one I've ever heard of. Most auctions are like three days. It is a
0: marathon. I often say it's like Groundhog Day. Every (laughs) morning we get up and it seems like the same thing, just different cars.
2: What's the most you've run through a Kissimmee auction? Most cars. Uh,
0: last year we had uh, close to 3,400, I think. Wow. So we're, we're down 3, a little bit this year, which is somewhat expected during the pandemic. But uh, my consignment guys, our marketing people, have all said this is the best lineup that we've ever had at Kissimmee in terms of quality top to bottom.
2: Wow. So uh, what's the percentage of sell-through? I mean, people don't understand, not every car gets sold, right? Yeah. Well. On kind of a roll right
0: now, so uh, we are a reserve auction, which means the seller can set a minimum that he's willing to accept his car for. And if it doesn't reach that minimum, the bid, then he doesn't sell his car. Right. Normally in a reserve auction, somewhere around 65 to maybe 72% wow. is a very good sell-through percentage. That is a huge sell-through. We've done 10 auctions now since the 1st of June. This is our 11th right. and we're running about 84% sell-through Wow. Sell. Yesterday, our first day here in Kissimmee, we were 83% sell-through. So we're, I would be very disappointed if it wasn't in excess of 80% when we That's finished up.
2: El- That's huge. So, meekum has been around for a while, but there were some other auction companies out there. What makes- there are? There are! <laughs> so what makes Meekum that much more successful?
0: Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, number one is just the culture of the company. Uh, we're a family-owned company. Dana Meekum started the company in 1988. He's still working with us every day in the business, and his four sons, wow. who are all in their 30s, work with us every day in the business. So we're not just family-owned, we are a family company. So, we promote a family environment for those that attend our auctions, and, and we, we don't cater to one uh, set of clientele or another, so Smart. as you walk through the, the fairgrounds here in Osceola Heritage Park, you'll see cars that might sell for $5,000, you're going to see cars that'll sell for multi-millions of dollars.
2: Well, we expect to see
0: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and I expect to see that. So it, it doesn't matter to us what what make, what model, what color, what size your pocketbook is. You're all the same to us. You're all car enthusiasts, and we treat everybody equally. And then secondly, uh, we're, we're very unique in that uh, we don't have you come to us for an auction. We don't say our auction is here, y'all come. Mm-hmm. We actually travel the country. So we'll do 14 car auctions around the country wow. every year. So we come to where you're at. So if you that's wait long enough, we're gonna be close to you and you can, of course, bring your car a or, lot of or come to buy. How
2: many staff do you have? It's huge.
0: Uh, we have 160 staff in our corporate office in Walworth, Wisconsin, just north, a little bit north and west of Chicago. And then we have another 250 people that uh, what we call road choke employees. They do nothing but travel with the auction. Wow! So I'm often hear from folks that will say, "Boy, that really runs like clockwork. You guys have you have it all figured out." It's because it's the same people at every auction that set up these buildings, that wow. set up the tents, that you know operate the auction block.
2: So, uh, big question: and um, stock markets on a boom. Is now a good time to buy an investor car? I mean, to buy a collector car, something maybe you've always wanted, or something that might have value down the road?
0: Well, we, we certainly like people to buy cars that they're passionate about right. and, and uh, cars that you, you know, that's a treasure to you. But there are certain cars that are bought for investment value. And if you look at the returns on collector automobiles, and you can look at it by make, you can look at it by model. Uh, but in general, the collector car market uh, over the last 10 years has returned close to 40 percent a year. Wow, that's better than the
2: stock market. Uh, and we're <laughs> yeah, we're on we're
0: on quite a bull market in the in the collector car business. Uh, prices continue to go up. I would say in in 2020 uh, that we just finished. Uh, Prices were stronger than we've seen them in the last 15 years, and they continue to climb. And Of course, when prices are good, that brings out high-quality cars, and when you bring out high-quality cars, you bring out more bidders, and prices continue to rise. So, Right right now, I think this market, this collector car market, is as strong as it's been probably in the last 15 or 20 years.
2: So as far as collector cars, I was talking to your marketing person. They were giving me some really impressive numbers. How many people are collector car people?
0: Well, I don't know how many people there are, but there are uh, in excess of 25 million collector cars that are insured in the United wow. States today.
2: That's a lot of vehicles, yep. and to think about how many, you might have a vehicle in your garage, maybe it's time to sell it.
0: Yeah, and we, oftentimes uh, people will say, well, you know, you have so many cars here. You have 3,000 cars here. You're gonna mm-hmm. sell 15,000 cars this year. What happens when there aren't any cars left? And I remind it's them, we're 15,000 a year, there's 25 million, and by the way, you don't always just get to sell a car once.
2: Right a lot of cars come back to they you do I'm come sure. back through. So are the buyers typically investors or are they enthusiasts? For
0: the most part, uh, I would say that they're enthusiasts. Uh, most of the cars that we will sell, the average price of a car sold is somewhere in the high 30000 range. Okay. Those are enthusiasts. Right. The, the people that are buying cars in the multi-million dollar range, cars that probably never will be driven, that are going to mm. be in a garage somewhere some or in a museum somewhere. we some crazy ones cross the block. <laughs> Those are more investment quality cars. You know, some of the cars that we're standing around right now are investment quality cars. So
2: what's the highest vehicle you've ever sold? What's the most expensive vehicle that's crossed the block at them and sold? Um,
0: about seven, and I think it was 7.75 million.
2: Wow, what was that? It was a
0: uh, Ford GT40.
2: That would make sense. It, sold it racing in Houston, I think it
0: was in uh, 2014. And then we've had wow. some cars that have been uh, very close to that since.
2: So I, I buy a vehicle here. I, I love it, I sign up as a bidder, I clear all my, my credit, and I buy a vehicle. How, how do I pay for that, and how do I get it home?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we pride ourselves in having built a MECOM system that that allows you to do everything you need to do start to finish right here at the auction itself. Okay. So you can register to bid, actually you can raise your hand, uh, you, you're a winning bidder, we can finance that car for you, we can do all the paperwork for you, we can register, we can get new tags for it for wow. you, and then we can put it on one of our trucks and we can deliver it to your house. And our our, our tagline for our, for our Mecham Transport business is from the auction floor to your garage door. Oh I like So we 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 purposely started a process about 5 years ago to build a system that including insurance with our partnership with State Farm we can do everything you need to have done as a collector car enthusiast.
2: Wow. So even if I'm buying like a car, which sometimes cross the blocks all the way up to those multi-million. You can support every aspect of that. That, That's really impressive and very smart.
0: And we can do that on the other side of the transaction, too, for a consigner. If you want to call and consign one of your cars to our auction, Mm -hmm. we can take one of our trucks to your house, pick it up, bring it to the auction, we'll clean it up for you, we'll get it checked in, we'll Um. do all the paperwork, we'll put it on the floor like you see here in this room, and you actually don't even have to come to the auction.
2: So does it have to be a perfect car like the ones around us that are absolutely perfectly clean or is it something that maybe has been sitting in someone's garage for a while?
0: There are cars here that uh, might be 10, 15, 20 years old that have 50 miles on them. And there are cars here that were found in a barn that have sat in a barn for the last 50 years and have never been moved that... You know, to to the average I might look like a rust bucket. Yeah. But to somebody that's in the, the restoration business, um looks like a real prize. That's
2: smart because I think a lot of auctions don't do that. They if it's not perfect, they don't want it. And that's what makes it easy for anyone to get involved, whether you find the car you want, you can find a restorer. Do you have a relationship with restorers as well? Yes, we do. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> And some of the cars
0: that are barn finds that have never been restored that, you know, that look like they basically just hooked a chain to it and drug it out of the barn. Right. Some of those bring some of the best prices just because then of the are. condition that it's in. And
2: yeah. It's only original once. Yeah. So if is, you're finding an increase in people doing this over the phone because of COVID and everything going on, or people still coming here and wearing masks? We're not wearing masks just for this interview. But, <laughs> but we are wearing masks. We are wearing masks. Yes.
0: Yeah. We. Um, uh, when, when the country went into lockdown in uh, the 1st of April, uh, we spent April and May taking a look at our business and, and thinking about what's the business going to look like when we come out of the pandemic, or more importantly, what's the business going to look like during the pandemic? So when we started back to auction the 1st of June, uh, we had uh, completely rebuilt a lot of our processes, and one of those was the the online auction system. where. Before you would look at a static picture on a screen and you could hear the auctioneer and you could participate by pushing the button. Now the way that works is you're looking at a a live video. You're looking at it just as if you were sitting in the front row of the auction and sitting right in front of the auctioneer. And the auctioneer actually knows who the internet bidders are. So he can say, Dave, are you done bidding on that car? So it's not a two-way communication, but it is a one-way communication. Is it visual,
2: like, oh, so they they can see you, or? They're
0: seeing the auctioneer, uh, sitting at home, they're seeing the picture of the car, they're seeing a description of the car, they're seeing the bids as it progress. The auctioneer can't see both ways.
2: It's just one way. That's really good for someone who wants to invest. Exactly. But they don't have the time or the ability to get, because you could anywhere in the world, right?
0: Exactly, and what we're finding is that where we normally would have uh, 20 or 30 internet bidders on a given day uh, now we're seeing 1500 to 2000 registered internet bidders and more importantly than that what we're finding out is that those internet bidders that we that we picked up since the first of june Mm -hmm. eighty percent of them are brand new to us really people that have never done business with us before so so we've looked at it now not only as an opportunity to assist in the sale of a car in the auction, but as a marketing tool now that we know that's that's an avenue that we can bring new clients to Mecham as well.
2: Christmas anywhere on the planet. Right. Wherever you are, you're unable to travel for whatever reason. You can
0: be sitting on your couch at home and it looks pajamas. to you just like you're sitting <laughs> in front of the auction block.
2: That's fabulous. So what's the future? I mean, you've done literally everything. You've got the restorers, you've got the finance, you've got the transport, and you're growing. What does the future yeah. of Mecham look like?
0: Well, the, the, the auction business, whether it's the motorcycles that we do or the farm tractors or, or vehicles, continues to grow and, and almost uh, astronomically we've, we've had a, a great run over the last five or six years. The piece of the business that I look at today that still has a lot of potential and almost unlimited potential is the entertainment value of our business. So as we continue to focus on Mecham for the future, my staff and I are looking at how do we increase the value of Mecham as an entertainment company as opposed to just a car auction company. We're not gonna lose our focus on the car auction business. That's where the
2: bread and butter is, yeah.
0: That's gonna continue, but there is another resource that we can use what we do, and we can use these cars to entertain people, and we're looking at a variety of ways to do that.
2: So your business acumen with Dana's passion and his family's passion has created a huge family business.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm kind of the outcast. I, uh, the Mecham <laughs> family are, are car people. I'm a car guy myself, but not to the extent that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what I bring to it is the business experience.
2: And that's important, because obviously the results have been Mecham was growing, and you just escalated it. Yeah. turbocharged it or supercharged it. We
0: have a great team, and we've done very well over the last five, six years. Well, I know In, you have year. to get
2: back to the auction. We appreciate you taking some time away. This is very exciting. We'll be watching it for the whole two weeks. We'll be posting on social media great on my site car coach reports and we appreciate your time thanks for being all here all right thank you
3: wow that was pretty cool and a and a pretty cool success story when you think about it i mean where those where that started and where it is now for dana Mikum and his whole group there uh i've watched it grow over the last just 10 to 15 years but uh i consider them one of the premier auction companies now and uh clearly they've got a lot of capable people there who know what they're doing and they're pleasing their customer base and that's why they're growing like they are.
1: I had the chance to go one in Vegas a couple of years ago, and, and again, like same, same impression, like really, really amazing, uh, just the amount of cars and people and interesting vehicles that you see there, so really, really cool. When we come back in the last segment of the show, we're going to, as we were, we've been mentioning, we're going to talk to Carl Pooley from Honda to hear about the new models coming in 2021, uh, in particular, that type R that we were talking about. So we'll be back with that. to the Total Car Score podcast with Carl Bauer and Lauren Fix and as we said we have another Carl on the show this week. This is Carl with C, Carl Foley from Honda. How are you Carl?
4: Very well, thanks very much uh, Javier for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while since we uh, all saw each other, so it's great to be on this podcast with you.
1: Yeah, I know, it's been a long time. Almost a year now, I guess. Uh, I don't remember honestly I don't remember the last Honda event anymore. <laughs> but it's been a long, long, long time. And I actually have a little story with you because I remember when you moved from, I guess, um, uh, some marketing position to to more public relations. I think one of the first interviews that you gave was with me in a, I think, in it was a civic. Yeah, I, I, I
4: fit, do remember it, it was. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And you were so nervous about it. So you know?
4: <laughs> I certainly <laughs> was, but you 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 were very gentle with me, and I'll I'll you <laughs> share that, yeah. you there, have you?
1: So Lauren, uh, why don't you start with, uh, what what do you want to know about Honda? I mean, I guess you haven't seen anybody from Honda either in a year, right?
2: No, I haven't seen anyone. I've had a few vehicles, which has been nice, but it's been difficult to uh, to to work with what we do every day. And I know that, you know, Honda's been doing a lot of new things, expanding their plant and looking forward to seeing a new Civic coming soon, maybe. Uh, but I've been getting a lot of product and I do appreciate that. So tell us what's going on with Honda and what's new.
4: Yeah, well, um, for the 21 uh, model year moving forward, we're really kind of, you know, focusing, more focusing our lineup for changing customer preferences. And as, as we all know, uh, there's been a movement for quite some time towards more light trucks. But, you know, Honda still has a very robust portfolio of both uh, light trucks, which we're expanding. Upon, but also with passenger cars, because as we see other manufacturers kind of leaving that space, uh, we're seeing that our market share is increasing. So um, last year, about three quarters of sales in the U.S. were, were light trucks, but we still had a pretty well balanced uh, lineup with fifty uh, percent or fifty-eight uh, percent light truck sales, and then forty-two percent passenger cars. And and we, you know, as as you'd mentioned, Lauren. Uh, We will be coming out with a groundbreaking new Civic, the 22 model year, which will be the uh, 11th generation of Civic. And uh, we did uh, a couple of months ago uh, reveal a prototype of it, um, which uh, I think is is quite uh, stunning in how different it is from the current 10th generation. And uh, we kind of like to say internally that the uh, current generation of Civic is uh, is playful, sporty. Um, It's very youthful. Um, This new one is a little bit more sophisticated. So we like to call it sophisticated, sporty, but still very, very youthful. Um, And uh, it's uh, quite a drastic change. And as you may have seen images of it with a very kind of low and wide stance, uh, still very sporty uh, with a a very wide um, greenhouse that enables the driver to see around. And uh, for those enthusiasts uh, who love our sporty variants of the Civic, uh, they'll be very, very pleased to know that we still will have manual transmissions available on the hatchback. And we will have a performance variant with the SI and uh, our halo performance vehicle, um, the Civic Type R. We will also have that with the 11th generation of Civic as well. But uh, speaking of the, the, the Type R, uh, for the 21 model year, we've come up with a, a very, very special variant, which we call the limited edition. And there's only going to be 600 units sold in the us and it's a particularly track focused variant of uh, the type r so it's lighter weight so better power to weight ratio has these uh, beautiful lightweight uh, forged aluminium wheels uh, the suspension and the uh, steering has been tuned uh, for the lighter weight has this fantastic phoenix yellow paint that's exclusive to that particular model so yeah, the swan song of the very, very successful tenth generation Civic is this uh, bright uh, yellow uh, Civic Type R Limited Edition. So um, it's uh, going out with a bang um, as we really look forward to the eleventh generation as we move forward with the twenty two model year.
1: Yeah, and Carl uh, Brower, you were actually at one on the event recently. I think it was with the Odyssey, right? Which has been, uh, uh, I mean, updated for twenty twenty one, right,
4: Carl? Yes, yeah, indeed. So. Sorry, wrong oh, yeah, go, go Carl. Our Carl. <laughs> wrong Carl. Keep going, keep going, Carl Boy. Okay, Yeah, terrific. Um, yeah, so um, we did have an event that that Carl Brower uh, thankfully was able to show up, and and uh, the the um, Honda Odyssey is 25 years of innovation is what we feel is those the most family focused of the minivans because the whole interior is really focused on on families uh, carrying um, their their children. Uh, siblings, grandparents in comfort um, and with safety. And so um, it's actually the number one retail best-selling minivan for the last 10 years with over 2.5 million sold since its introduction in 1995. And we currently have over 40% of the market share. So uh, for this model year, we um, updated the styling and uh, we improved the uh, second row magic slide seats, which is one of the kind of Uh, 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 magic packaging things that Honda has done with the Odyssey and that the second row seats not only can move backwards and forwards but side to side which provides you with so much easier access to the third row but also gives you the convenience of moving uh, children within the seats Um, and all three of those uh, second row seats can have uh, uh, car seats for children so it just makes it so much more convenient and easy to get children in and out of the vehicle but um, it also has an industry first a rear seat reminder that's integrated with our cabin watch camera. So um, if the um, side doors have been opened just prior to or after the vehicle has started, when you shut off the vehicle, it will provide you with an audible and visual reminder to check the rear seats for anything that you may have of value, like your children or your groceries. Um, and uh, the... Uh, the cabin watch will actually show you a view because you can see both the second and the third row in that um in that camera view um also we've um updated the uh, honda sensing suite of standard and safety um equipment um and uh, also um included a little bit more stylish uh accoutrement if you will for the elite version because um there's no a premium brand luxury brand that offers a minivan so what we've done with the odyssey and the elite trim which is the top trim is to include supple leather seats and other um, luxury touch points that you would expect to see in a luxury vehicle but in a minivan because for those affluent people that you know expect to have certain things in their vehicle but they do need uh, or they want a minivan then the uh, odyssey elite provides those uh, items for them
1: okay our car now. <laughs>
4: I was I was glad I got to drive the vehicle you
3: just described, Carl, because uh, you guys had a really fun event over at the um, Rose Bowl in Pasadena. That uh, was great to experience the vehicle and also experience, uh, you know, that environment with the vehicle and all the other Odysseys and the other journalists there. I always have a funny story to tell about the Odyssey in that I it was the first new car I ever bought. I've owned a lot of cars in my life, and the bulk of them have been older cars and a lot of American kind of performance oriented cars, old muscle cars and stuff, but we had a 99 odyssey the first year for that generation in the long term fleet when i was working at edmonds.com and i drove it multiple times as a long term rotation vehicle and i liked it so much that when i needed an odyssey or i needed a minivan cuz my wife was pregnant with the second uh, child in 3 years i went out and bought one and i we still had the long term one in the odyssey in the in the long term fleet at edmonds so very not not often but it was entirely possible that i would have the rotation of the long term one in my control and i would drive home to the other one parked in the two it was a 2000 that i bought a year later that was parked in the house that my wife was driving and i'd have these flashes of driving the long-term odyssey into my garage next to my personal odyssey looking back and thinking ah my high school buddies from the performance carly era would be so proud right now to see the garage i've got (laughs) but i love that car i love and i still have a very soft spot for really minivans in general, because people who are willing to admit it know that they are the single best way to move people around. Everyone loves the the big trucks and everyone loves the SUVs, but we all know that odysseys and minivans in general are the best way to move humans around from getting in and out to the space inside. And uh, I always say the person driving a minivan, male or female, is the one who's truly secure in their uh, personal uh confidence and and uh uh self-esteem because uh all these people are like I don't want to be seen in a minivan it's like well I don't have a problem with that but again I've got a lot of self-confidence maybe you don't that's okay
4: <laughs> well the, the, the funny thing, Carl, is that, you know, being a, a performance car enthusiast, uh, when the development team were working on the current generation of, of Odyssey, when it came to the driving dy- dynamics, they, they they didn't benchmark other minivans and they certainly didn't benchmark high-sitting, high-centre-of-gravity SUVs. They actually benchmarked per, um, passenger cars. So with that low-centre-of-gravity um and uh, the, the, the wheels out to the sides and with that long wheelbase, it, the, the, the Odyssey actually handles surprisingly well, and it even comes with paddle shifters and a sport mode. So I, I certainly don't uh, suggest that someone take their family to the um, Nürburgring and try to set a hot lap uh, unless you've got lots of sit bags, but um, actually while driving alone, the, uh, the Odyssey is surprisingly fun to drive that's, that's what got
3: me into it. I mean, even the 99 version, that first generation of where it was really the sliding doors, because the first generation we know kind of had the traditional doors, but driving that vehicle around, I was like, I cannot believe this is a minivan. This is 22 years ago now in 99, when that car was brand new and it hasn't gotten less performance or, you know, it hasn't gotten sloppier or the steering gotten sloppier since then. It only keeps getting better every time they redesign it. So yeah, the current one is the best driving minivan for sure of all the minivans that are out there. But I'm a huge fan, in case you can't already tell, and uh, was glad to drive that new one at that event uh, at Rose Bowl. And, you know, one real quick question I'd ask Carl is about um, the hybrid CRV, because I believe that was, you know, I think a lot of people in the automotive journalism community who were either on that event or or had colleagues on it from their publication were like, that was like the last press event. You know, that was like that. You guys just slid that one in before everything was shut down. Last March, but that car has been on the market now for nine, 10 months. Uh, you know, any feedback on how it's performing and the reaction from your customers?
4: Yes, well, it was. Uh, and we we we've had uh, some goals uh, moving forward with with electrification, with with the primary goal of obviously reducing CO two emissions and increasing fuel economy. And in fact, um, the EPA just announced that Honda is the best um, full line manufacturer with regards to average fuel economy as well as CO2. And it's something that we have um, we have a 40-year track record, because it was 1976 when the EPA first started uh, reporting those things. And the Honda Civic CVCC was the number one uh, most fuel-efficient vehicle back then. And in fact, it was the only one that could meet those then emission standards without the use of a catalytic converter. And so with our global goal to have three quarters of our new vehicle sales uh, being electrified by 2030, uh, as well as to be carbon neutral by 2050, um, we're adding our two motor hybrid system to our most popular vehicles, which, as you'd mentioned, the CRV, um, as well as the Accord. And so we really feel as though it's the most sophisticated powertrain Um, The wonderful thing about anything that has an electrified powertrain is the uh, incredible torque that you have with an electric motor, um, as well as the smoothness as well. So um, the CRV has has been doing incredibly well. The the hybrid variant is the most powerful of our CRV variants. Uh, It's been selling very well, as has our uh, Accord, which um, just went on sale a couple of months ago as well. So um, yeah, we're in a wonderful place with regards to uh, CO2 emissions and fuel economy, and uh, we're aiming to to move forward, as I've mentioned, with those goals, uh, with the uh, further application of that two-motor hybrid system in our most popular vehicles.
1: So, as everybody knows, Lauren is a huge fan of sports cars, but uh, is all this, uh, what happened in Honda, going to convince you, either the Odyssey or the CRB hybrid, Lauren?
2: Well, I'm not a minivan person, but I am a huge fan of the Type R, and I think it's one of the coolest cars on the market. People that have them are such fanboys, as I hate to call it, but that's sort of the term. Uh, it's amazing the following that you have for a vehicle with such limited production, and it's not
4: really the bulk of what you guys do. No, but the you know the 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 Civic um, line obviously is is huge. I mean, it's a nameplate in and of itself. And the fact that we were finally able to give those enthusiasts the Type R, which, because uh, previous to the tenth generation of Civic, uh, the US actually had a different platform that our Civic was based on compared to what they had in Europe and Japan, so we weren't previously able to bring that Type R to the US. But then in two thousand seventeen, uh, we were able to bring it out, and and it's been a huge success. And obviously, we've we've sold every single one that we've produced. And uh, as I'd mentioned earlier, with this limited edition uh, variant that's uh, 50 pounds lighter, but most importantly, that most of that weight is taken from unsprung weight, so from the wheel and tire package. And uh, I was able to, to drive it on the track, and I'm certainly not a, a performance driver, but I really felt the difference between the standard touring version and the limited edition. And, you know, it's one of those uh, sort of cars that, you know, uh, when when you're, a, you're a young person, as I was before I got my license, you know, you'd know you have um, posters of, of those performance cars that you lusted over uh, on your bedroom wall. And, and I think that the Civic Type R not only serves as that, but it's also attainable as well. And the fact that it's still based upon the Civic hatchback, it's incredibly uh, practical car as well. So especially the Touring variant is it can be an everyday car. Uh, that you also take to track days. And I I can imagine that a a car enthusiast in a household uh, could speak to their significant other and say, hey, I'm going to get ourselves a nice practical uh, Civic hatchback. How does that sound? Fantastic. (laughs) Uh, And then they come home with a Civic Type R. And it it is that practical hatchback, but obviously it's an incredibly powerful 306 horsepower uh, hot hatch. That um, because of its front-wheel drive configuration, it's so much lighter than most of its competitors. But because the Honda engineers were so diligent with reducing and basically eliminating torque steer with the dual-axis front suspension unit, you can really put that three hundred horsepower down. Those front tires stick, and that car just goes exactly where you want it to. So uh, I don't recall if if any of you uh, perhaps have have yeah, maybe Carl have driven it on the track, maybe you, Lauren too, but. Uh, it, oh, it, I have. Like,
1: okay. Yeah, I have. But like, what, just hearing you is making me like sad, anxious, uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know when we're going to be able to do that again. So it's like crazy. So really, thank you very much for the update. And again, I don't know if you want to say something closing, Karl Brauer, uh, but we just Talking about the car, we want to go and drive it.
3: Yeah, I know it's getting tough to just have to kind of remember what it was like to be able to go to the track and experience all these incredible vehicles. But the Type R is one of those, and uh, yeah, I've had it uh, where I could really stretch its legs in a safe environment, and uh, it's uh, it's quite a vehicle. And and I'm a big believer in vehicles. I love vehicles that can do one or more, do two or more things really well. And I love the fact that you could just drive that car daily to work and put a lot of stuff in the back and carry people around in it. And it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, check it out when I go around this uh, on-ramp, you know, and, and freak people out if you wanted to. So uh, it's mm-hmm. a great car.
1: Well, thank you again. And uh, we're going to close the this week's show with that thought of uh, maybe soon we can go back uh, to our racetrack together and enjoy the, yes. the Type R and all that. Uh, so thank you again, Carl. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Carl Brower. And uh, we'll be back next week
0: thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.